Thanks for joining us for the Changing the Industry podcast, where we try to effectuate change for the better, one conversation at a time. Part of that change is providing help for those that need it. This is why we've partnered with the Institute for Automotive Business Excellence. Whether it's help with sales, operations, or just getting your numbers in order, these folks are some of the very best in the industry. And for our listeners, they'll sit down with you and go over your strengths, your weaknesses, and the opportunities that are in front of you. They'll create a customized plan for how to move forward absolutely free. That's right, free. And if your plan includes one-on-one coaching, they can also help you with that. There's no hard sales pitch, no obligation, just honest help from honest people. So if that's something that you think could benefit you, make sure you click on the link in the show notes. And now, on to the show. Really? <laughs> Tell us who you are. Uh, my name is Andrew Knudsen. I have a shop in Huntington Station, New York, Long Island. Uh, we have three technicians. Um, my dad started the shop about 22 years ago after working at the uh, local Jaguar dealership. Kind of got tired of the politics of it. The Jaguar dealership sold, so he decided to go out on his own and start his own repair shop. So we've been there in our same location for about 22 years. About, <clears throat> I want to say about nine years ago, we started going to our first Cecil seminars. Actually, we started going to the one in Colmac, which was the old Autologic building. Oh, cool. Yes. And um, the, only day I, the only reason I remember that day is because my niece was born that day. Um, so we started going to the seminars and we realized right away that, you know, we needed to make changes. Yeah. Um, you know, we started off with um, getting rid of some of our wholesale accounts that really weren't. There was no profit involved. They just weren't working out anymore. Yeah. You know, waiting to get paid and, you know, their their problems and stuff like that were just, you know, too, right. too, too time consuming. Um, and then we started, you know, increasing our profit margins and making, you know, changes to our labor rates, you know, increasing our labor rate and yeah. you know, our labor uh, margins and stuff like that. So, you know, he's uh he's up there with Eric. Can you say the name of Eric's town? No, I have no idea what it is. Are you on the very end of Long Island or are you closer to the city? I am only about, I would say, 40 minutes from Manhattan. So I'm in the middle. You're in the middle? I'm a... Ammo. That forty, yeah, yeah, he's out that forty minutes is like yeah. a mile and a half. Just so you know, dude, no, nah, man, it's <laughs> it's more than that. It's more than that. I'm telling you, like I have never sit in a traffic jam like I have on Long Island. Oh my god, it's horrible. It's the, you know, at this point, I think it would be safe to say we could take Expressway out of the name. There's nothing express <laughs> about that. Nope. And what's what's crazy about it to me is you'll be sitting on it for hours. Oh, yeah. And then all of a sudden you like traffic starts moving and you don't like see any wrecks. You don't see any flaming destruction. You don't see. Yeah. You're waiting to see like, you know, a car flipped over. on. Yeah. The side no, it just all of a sudden like starts moving again. Yeah. That's that's New York. Right? <sighs> it sucks. I just want to be honest with you. Isn't it Long it Island does. where they had that that picture that was circulating in all the groups, that Audi dealership that was charging 300 and something dollars? Yeah. You know, you know what I'm talking about. I do. Right? It was like 320 bucks an hour. And then somebody came up and everybody's like, it's Photoshopped. And they're like, no, it no. looked Photoshopped. But you haven't seen the picture? I don't think I have, actually. It was a sign that was an Audi dealership in, in that area. I think it was Long Island. Okay. And it said uh, it was like $320 an hour. Yeah. 
uh, charged based on labor time or works work time or something like that. Right. And then, and then what ended up coming of that was, is like multiple technicians came out and said, no, I'll, I'll work there. Like, here's the sign. And then du- Dusty asked, Dusty Harrison asked the group. No, he asked a, a friend of a friend or something okay. like that, that, that worked at the dealer. And he's like, is this legit? And he's like, yeah, it's <laughs> legit, but they don't charge. They like cut the time in half or something like that. And so it's, it's the way to get around yeah. some regulation or something like that. So they post that as this really high dollar amount, but they don't end up really charging. Right. That's $320. We actually have to post our labor rate. Oh, that's so stupid. I mean, it's not the end of the world. No, it's not. Um, it's still stupid, though. It is. Right. You have to have it posted. And there actually is a New York sign that has to be. Really? Yes. It actually doesn't say New York on it anywhere, but it's actually in the New York DMV shop owner's handbook. You know what's so. It has to be said. It has to say that. What's so crazy about that is in North Carolina. And, and like, we meet shop owners all the time, right? Like, putting storage on a car. That there's a legal process in every single state for right. how you put storage on a car. And, like, if you want to take that car, you have to follow this process. You can't yeah. just call somebody to come get the car. Right. You can't just hold the car until they pay you. Like, for instance, in North Carolina, and I did not know this, if the car is together, right, and they go to local law enforcement and say, hey, they've got my car, then they can actually get the car back. But... They have to pull off of the property, and then it is theft of services. And and you almost have to talk about the fact that they need to be able to uh, – I can't remember how he explained it. He said, you have to tell them that you have to pay before they leave. You can't, like, at any point say anything other than that. You have to pay before you leave. But if they take their keys and they say, I want my keys, you have to give them their keys because the keys are theirs. They own the keys. Yeah, right. You need to pay before you leave. You need to pay before you leave. Then they leave and you can call the sheriff's department for it. You cannot call them before they pull out of the parking lot. Right. And so like in North Carolina, there's a sign that has to go up on the wall. And like I go in tons of shops and none of them have the sign. Really? And so it says like, hey, you're entitled to an estimate if your repair is over $350 and you have to have a written and signed estimate for it to be valid. And that if it's if it changes more than 10%, they have to get another written copy of that estimate. Right. And it can be electronic or can be paper. And like nobody knows that that's supposed to be up. Dude, there's so many shops like that. Have no clue. What what cool, funky regulations does Kansas have? I have no idea. I don't follow any of them. <laughs> you just like, <laughs> I don't care. Uh, we have to have a poster that says don't store tires in your backyard because it'll uh, prop. Yeah, it'll propagate the mosquito population. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I have to have pamphlets out. I thought that was just common sense. David's got them stacked up behind the shop. He's like, no, it's a beaver habitat, man. <laughs> I do have them stacked up behind. I can have, I think, 56 tires or something like that stacked up behind the shop. And if I have more than 56, then I have to have an enclosure for the tires. Remember, and then I can stack as many as I want. Remember the uh, the story I always told about my friends that owned the shop and the dad had passed away and the, the mom took it over, ran it for a little bit, and then the sons took it over and like kind of ran it in the ground. Okay. Man, I'll never forget, after about a year of them running it, I came by, and, like, you see this stack of tires that's over top of the building. And, like, literally the entire back of the building. I mean, it took six or seven tractor-trailer loads 
of used tires to get the tires out of there. And they just like kept stacking them and stacking them and stacking them and stacking them. And like, you'd see people on top of the pile of tires. I'm like, are you just hoping that it goes up or something? Like, I don't know. It's crazy. Lucas and I have been telling you about parts tech for a while now and how it gives you access to unlimited parts and tire vendors and direct integration with over 35 shop management systems. And now they've just launched a new referral program. All you have to do is open your parts tech account, go to my shop and click on the rewards tab. There you'll find your referral URL, which you can share via email, text message, or on your social media. If your referral signs up for a new account and places five orders in the first 30 days, parts tech will send you a $100 gift card. That's it. Nothing else is needed. Your referrals can get you $100 just for using parts tech, which by the way, is absolutely free to get started with. So if you're using parts tech already, start sharing that referral link. And if you haven't signed up for parts tech yet, what are you waiting for? Click on the link in the description or go to partstech.com forward slash podcast. That's partstech.com forward slash podcast. Hey, one more thing. If you find out that your shop management system doesn't integrate with parts tech, it's time to upgrade. David and I use what we believe to be the very best system on the market, shopware. With unmatched features like parts GP optimizer and DVX, which is their digital vehicle experience, shopware really is way more than just a shop management software. With it, you'll be able to create an immersive and interactive experience for your client, setting you apart from everyone else using run-of-the-mill software. Are you ready to upgrade? Click the link in the show notes to get started. That's a good idea. I think I've got some pictures of it somewhere if you want some advice on how to do it. <laughs> will they <laughs> will, will they uh, just ignite like that, you think? I, I, I don't think so. Hey, um, my friend, and I'm going to have him on the podcast at some point, but my friend um, Taylor Marsh is a North Carolina State um, fire inspector or fire marshal. And I was talking to him a while back, you know, we were in the process of building a building. I'm like, Hey, you know, what are your, what are your big beefs? And he said, man, he said of anything that you can do in an auto repair shop, he said, if you will just get metal trash cans for your grease rags and don't put anything else in there, he's like, it will, he said, it will save your shop. I'm like, do what? He's like, he said, almost every single auto repair shop fire that happens is because somebody threw rags in a regular trash can. And he said, I don't care if it's a blue paper towel. He said, I don't care if it's a white paper towel. He said, I don't care if it's a red grease rag. You never, ever throw those in a regular trash can. I said, why not? He said, they will absolutely self-combust. Really? And he said, that is the number one cause of shop fires. He said, I've got video after video after video of security cameras that you can go back and watch. And you can be watching that camera and you'll see the trash can just go. Pfft. And he's like, all of a sudden the shop's gone. And he yeah. said, the other thing that they saw as he said, when a firefighter has to go into your shop, as he said, you know, if it's in the middle of the night, nobody has to go in, man, they're not going in, right? Because yeah. it's a really dangerous environment. Burning. He yeah. said, but if you if you have staff in your shop and you don't have like an exit strategy, and he right. said, I know how frustrating it is for everybody to hear that and like talk about it. But he said, here's the problem. Is he said, if you have to send a firefighter in to get somebody, he said, it is so disorienting because it's pitch black. Right. You can't see. All you see is the inside of, of like your helmet. And he said, so there's smoke and it's hot and it's miserable. And, and there's really nothing for them to follow. They right. follow walls and stuff like right. that. Right. Spatial 
disorientation or whatever. And he's like, if you knew how many people had been killed in a building because they like got tangled on something right. and, and because you're disoriented already, you panic and you like start flailing and trying to get away from it, but you can't see. And he's like, so right. jack handles, right? Like are you putting all your jacks in a certain spot? Are you doing things? And he said, so when they do a, a pre-plan, if you were to have a fire at your shop, like talk to them and say, Hey, would you, where would you want us to store these things? Do you want them over here in this spot? Would you rather them on the floor? And he said, like, always, like, make sure you have always. But he said, man, he said, the, the thing is, is if you do something, and he was talking about a, a business in North Carolina, and he said, if you do something that the fire marshal calls you on, and they come out and they say, hey, listen, that's dangerous. You can't do that. And they write you a violation for it. And you don't fix it. Or even if you fix it and later on they come back and there's a fire and somebody dies because of it. You can be criminally and civilly liable for that person's death, right? And that's crazy. I mean, I, nobody ever thinks about that. I, I need to make my business efficient. I need to make my business great. And now all of a sudden you've done something that is making it great but not safe, you know? I think that's one of the most important things, though, is making your business safe. I mean, in our shop, we have the fire marshal come in. They come in, um, I believe it's once a year. Yeah. And – um they, we have the welder in the same location. The torches are in the same location. And at the end of the day, my younger techs, they'll be running out the door at 5 o'clock. And I'm like, wait, yeah. put the stuff back. Yeah. Roll up the hoses. Roll up the extension cords. Put your tools away. And they'll land there. And then, you know, they're like, oh, my God, this is, this is so annoying. Why are we doing that? I'm like, because, God forbid, there's a problem. Yeah. If someone has to come in here, you need to make sure everything's back where it was. Yeah, exactly. And, and what's funny? You need to understand, though, that you're in New York, dear. You live in a completely oh, different yeah. regulatory world than the rest of the country. <laughs> but, you know, when you look at the regulations, like when the fire marshal comes in, it's a lot of just common sense stuff. Yeah. Like, you know, don't block all the exits. You know? the, so for you guys, like the, the things that I see you guys ending up in a mess over is like uh, hazmat disposal for like oils and stuff like that right. for the department of natural resources or whatever it is the dec and stuff yeah. like that yes so in my shop we have uh 255 gallon drums for mm -hmm. the weight for the uh, waste coolant and i have a company come and they take it and they give me a certificate and the same thing with our oil um in new york i believe it's a i don't quote me on this I, i'm pretty sure it's illegal to burn the waste oil really in the shops i know a lot of shops get, a lot of shops do it but i don't i'm pretty sure it's frowned upon that's crazy yes i've never i've never had a waste oil heater my dad had one back when he was at the dealership and he goes it's a pain mm -hmm. you're constantly cleaning it you know if especially if the fluid's not clean you know it's yeah. it's and and i've always thought you know as i move the business to where i don't have to be there every day why would I want my lead technician or one of my technicians going up there servicing the burner when it's 40 degrees outside? Yeah, dude. Well, but we've yeah. heard different stories, though. Uh, Don Starty from um, – he's in Wisconsin. Isn't he in Wisconsin? I think so, yeah. I mean, like, it gets cold there. Yeah. He's like, no, no, I've had this thing for 10 years. Uh, once a year, I clean it out. So, now, I don't mean to interrupt you. The thing about cleaning them out – that a lot of people don't realize. And I learned this when we were polishing the floor in the shop. If you've seen the videos of guys that'll be up there cleaning them on like a really tall ladder and it'll shock the piss out of them and they'll fall and like get hurt. There were two or three ASOG members years ago that fell because they got hurt. Yeah. Right. And so like when you're vacuuming it out, mm -hmm. it charges the hose. It's, it's got static, static that yeah. runs down the hose and it will shock the piss out of you. And like, dude, I, Hey, 
when I was grinding the floor of the shop, that hose would like get over next to my leg. And I mean, it would zap. I mean, it was not a pleasant experience. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and I like pain. Come on in, buddy. Come on in. Um, but so you're recording, you know, whatever. Just make yourself at home. <laughs> Do you know these guys? No. Oh, thank God. Uh, <laughs> I know we've known these guys for a long time. So, um, you know, look, we're we're at the summit, mm-hmm. and um, pretty clear that that you're one of the shop owners they really look up to, right? A lot of guys here really look up to you. When you think about that, and you think about where you've been, how how did you get to that spot? How did you? What was the trajectory from? And I, I hear you say like, "Hey, we adjusted our margins." Hey, mm-hmm. we. What was the catalyst that took you and said, "This sucks. I'm not doing this anymore." What What is it that said, "I'm going to take it to the next level"? It really, um, it it's it was years, honestly, mm-hmm. because it really. I mean, I've been going to the shop since I was nine. Okay. Um, you know, my mom would yell at my dad for waking me up to bring me to the shop, and yeah. you know, he would. There would be days where he wouldn't bring me, and then I would argue with my mom to bring me. I mean, I've just loved this business from day one, right? And I've it's been beneficial, and, and I've also seen the downsides to it. I've seen some shops close up because they just you know didn't make changes, mm-hmm. and they were just constantly fighting the technology changes, or you know, um, you know, losing great technicians because they weren't charging accordingly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've had a lot of shops in my area, especially when I got into college, I realized, you know, there definitely is most, there's got to be a better way. Mm-hmm. And I always told my dad, you know, I don't want to be stuck in this, in this industry where I'm here every day, you know, eight to eight yeah. at night, yeah, you know, definitely. Sun, Sundays. I mean, I've heard horror stories <laughs> and I've seen a lot of shops fold up. Yeah, definitely. And it, and it's, it sucks. I mean, it sucks to see that. Well, so do you think that part of the catalyst was, is that you saw dad do it, right? Because uh, the the guys who, it seems like there's two lines of thought. The guys who start this and they just start a shop, right? They were a technician turned shop owner. They had no experience. And so they, they jump in and they start this business. And as things progress, as things go along, they never grow out of that initial phase, right? It right. takes a, it takes something really painful. You know, it takes uh, a divorce. It takes a it takes a real impact into their family before something happens. It takes the kid saying, "Hey, Dad, I never see you." Right? right? Do you think that seeing from the outside in, you know what I'm saying? Like the outside in from seeing Dad suffer through some of these things or challenge. It definitely was a lot. My father. You know, I mean, he. I mean, he was always there for us. I'm not. I don't have the same backstory as Cecil does or mm-hmm. you know a lot of these guys but I saw my dad Bob and Weave to pay the bills for the yeah. shop um, you know there was times when we couldn't afford new technology because just you know the hours weren't there the money wasn't there and I saw that over the years and you know we would have to work you know go on on Saturdays to get a job together yeah. so that you know bills could be paid and I and I saw that growing up and I knew that we needed to make a change and yeah. when I started going we started going to the Cecil classes Mm-hmm. And we realized, and one of the first things that stuck with me is Cecil says, this business is not hard if you're, if you're doing it correctly. Yeah, absolutely. If you're working on your business instead of in your business, it'll flourish. It, you know, but here's the thing is that in so many ways, right, because we've had this discussion as of late, right, with some people, it was dad's willingness to say, Andrew, I, I believe in you. I trust you. Right. You know, look, it's not how I would do it. But 
you know, we'll see what happens, right? right? A lot of that comes back to dad putting faith in you. Yes, he has. And I, you know, it's odd for me because I've never been in a situation where mom and dad didn't do that, right? And so it didn't ever seem like a potential. And here recently, like you can ask David, we we just... He was messing with the mic. We're joined by Robert Morton. He owns a shop in Amarillo, Texas called okay. Eurotech Panhandle and Popsicle Stand. And I thought he had yellow car care or something like that. Or was it? And oh, he owns well, a taxi they, they business, own them too. both together. Yeah. Trampoline repair yellow, also. Yellow, yellow trampoline repair also. Yeah. And trampoline <laughs> repair. <laughs> but, but, you know, here's the thing is like <laughs> I never experienced something where dad or mom didn't trust me to say like, hey, go do it. Right. Now, I, in some ways in the family business, I've seen some of that trepidation between my brother and my dad. And, and there was some of that between us with the family business. But I started my own business. Um, recently. David and I had an experience where somebody, a listener, really awesome guy, was put in a situation where it didn't seem like family was doing the right thing for him. It didn't seem like family trusted him. It didn't seem like it was, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so it, it creates a different result. And so the shop can become stagnant. The shop can, like, stick there and never do anything at all, you know? Yeah. That, that I mean, I've seen that in some shops in my area where yeah. the where the father has the shop, the kid comes in and he doesn't really have the passion for it and it's it's you can see it's like a force yeah you know where i always just i knew i wanted to do this i did not yeah. want to become a pilot or a chef or a firefighter yeah. i wanted to you know i was taking apart remote control cars when i was younger i knew this is what i wanted to do right so when i had the opportunity to to take the bull by the horns and just run with it and my father was kind of like Okay, okay. <laughs> let's see where this goes. Right. You know, like, I trust you. Dude, that's awesome. You know, I have, you know, my father gave me a lot, you know, gave me a lot of leadway, a lot yeah. of faith. And even now, like, when I'm like, hey, I want to put more money to marketing, we don't have to have a budget meeting about it. It's like, okay, let me know. Right. You know. That's pretty cool. Well, like, so you, because I, I think maybe there's some some folks who don't truly understand what what, when you first start going to trainings or events, don't really understand what that looks like. How did you? What was the first class? I mean, for Cecil that you went to. I mean, was it just at a local event? What? It was one of the, the one of the local classes. It was the two day service advisor class where they broke down the numbers. I mean, right. by lunchtime, my head was spinning. I yeah, mean, I thought I knew numbers, and I brought like some sheets with me, and I was like, he was like, yeah, this is good, but right. it could be better, well, and we're going to show you how to do that. And, and, you know, you get there and, like, you experience that for the first time. And and a lot of people say, well, how is it that you go to a class? There, there are some predatory classes out there. None of the places that we go have them. But, like, there's predatory classes that are about getting you to sign up for their for their service, right? Mm-hmm. That's not what these classes are. No, these were these were classes it's put on by. predatory. It's lead generation. <laughs> I like the way he said it, though. Yeah, it's, it's predatory. There, we there's we a couple know one of, of that's predatory we signed up with and. Yeah, yeah, we well, I ran through the ringer. Yeah, dude. And like, how, how did you, so you, you just went to a class, and the, I, I know those classes because I've been to those classes. There's no pressure in those classes. There's no. No, it's it was not, not even, a sales class. No, it's about learning. Yeah. And so I you, actually didn't even know he had a company and did coaching until like the sixth class I went to. Right. Because it wasn't like, hey, this is our. Cecil, you're doing a terrible job at lead generation. (laughs) (laughs) What what are you doing? Well, and I mean, so that's the thing is like, you know, it wasn't about that. And and you became hungry because you saw the information, right? Now, how did you get hooked up with the first company, Robert? 
Was it the last one that you were with? Yeah, we. I worked for a guy that used them. And when we started our own shop, um, they were having a seminar in Dallas. We went to the seminar. But he found was, love from it. Yeah. So it's not, it, it wasn't, wasn't a bad all thing. bad thing. Yeah. No, we, we learned a lot from them and just got to the point where we outgrew what they were giving us. But yeah, that's what you find. It's not, see, we call them predatory. It's all, it's all like, it's a, it's a path. It's, um, it's, it's a lifestyle a, change. But the seminar. No, 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 no lifestyle changes. It's, 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 he's in it's a, a transformation. Ju- it's uh, a journey. Uh, <laughs> no, because, you know, you can look back at, I look back at the times that I'd gone to, to California a bunch of times and took a bunch of classes and stuff like that. It was like, if I hadn't do, done that, I wouldn't have known what I know now. And, you know, you, you, it all stacks up. And, you know, at the end of the day, you can't, I don't necessarily regret the, tens of thousands of dollars i paid the these coaching companies because i don't know that i would have been where i am now without some of the stuff that they taught right and it that's probably true for us too we just saw that you know the seminar we went to was they gave you enough information to get you interested in their service yeah yeah and then when we'd go out for training and then the the big conventions they'd have every the point of every single one was to sell more services yeah so when yeah. we would ask certain questions of our consultant, what we got back was, well, you're not paying for that level yet. Yeah, you need to yeah. sign up. Yeah, that's that's I don't think Okay, I've that that part's that. a little skeezy. When they're like <laughs> they're like, well, I'd like to tell you, but you haven't taken this class and you haven't signed up for this and you haven't done this and it's like exactly. oh, okay, a pathway. They and there and pathway. there's a lot of people that have invested a hundred hundreds of thousands of dollars with this company and have flourished and it's done great for Yeah, them. they're killing it. Yeah. yeah. But see, they liken it to they liken it to the cost of getting a master's degree at a at a four-year university did you ever sit through one of the classes like you can say it's expensive but if you went to you know harvard or if you went to uh, an elite university and you paid for four years plus to get a master's an mba you know it's going to cost you one hundred twenty thousand dollars. well it's going to cost you one hundred twenty thousand here too right (laughs) so i mean here's the thing is at the end of the day it seems like some of these organizations have a ceiling right we're talking about that yesterday that some of these organizations, the businesses in them grow to a specific level. And it depends on your level of buy-in. Because just like he said, there were a lot of shops that were, you know, two, three, four shop organizations. They were they were killing it. Yeah. They were absolutely killing it. They stayed in the program. Then they became coaches. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And it's it's buy-in. It's entirely buy-in. I mean, it it is. I'm not saying it's not. But is especially with the smaller companies is the coach's ability to break out of that you know for instance when some own business an and they stopped where they stopped or well if it's just a coach it's just the guy the guy is going to bring a lot of value but once the guy runs out of stuff to teach you what are you supposed to do mm-hmm. you know cecil's organization is big enough that I can hand you off to somebody else mm-hmm. and they can t- come at you at a different, exactly. and the, the place that you were with, it was the same way. Like they'll just hand you to somebody else. Right. And we, that's what I learned too, that it's important to, if you're with a company, go to other places and meet other people because they've all got other information that you may never get from them. But once we left them, I just started hanging out with one of my friends back home that owns a fast food chain of, Mm-hmm. Uh, Japanese hibachi grills. Yeah. 
And, you know, it's not an automotive repair shop, but I'd meet with him every month for an hour. And I learned more from him in a month, you know, than I felt like I did in the last six months yeah. with the company. But just going over his P&L and how detailed everything was, like they can look at a P&L and look at their cost of beef was 2% higher than it should be. They can find which store it happened in, and then they can find that this guy was trimming too much off the beef before they cooked it. Holy And cow. they can correct it. Right. Well, and, and you know, here's the, here's the deal about that is that, like, our time, it was, we've all been friends, gosh, how long have we all been friends now? 2018. Yeah. And so, like, our time in that mastermind group. He knows the date, too, like the exact <laughs> <I know. laughs> Well, but Wednesday, you know what I'm saying? Like, our time in that mastermind group, David started the mastermind group. It was literally just a bunch of us that would sit around and talk. Like, I learned a ton from you because your business was at a different spot than mine was. And you all saw different challenges than I saw. And I learned a ton from David. And, and you know, especially like the – I mean, probably one of the biggest things I've learned from David is like the interview questions. And that was just like recently like an epiphany for me. Like, I am not good at that, right? Like, he interviewed three advisors for me just the other day. And, like, he's able to get information that – I, it would have been pulling teeth for me. I would have felt miserable. I would have hated every second of it, you know? Right. And so, like, it's the experiences of our little group of people that, A, it, it kind of created the podcast in one way or another. But it it was like that's where a lot of my growth came from. And, and coaching was a good growth for me, right? Like, I got really good growth from coaching. But I think having those peers and having those people to talk to and hearing of their experience and hearing of your experience and seeing how they did things different that was real, like it was impactful because all of a sudden it's not, hey, I can do this and this is what they tell me I can make. It's, hey, everybody else is doing it. So if they can do it, why can't I do it? Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. Uh, especially Robert Morton. If Robert Morton can do it. <laughs> <laughs> if I can do it, then gosh. <laughs> no, I'm just picking, buddy. I'm just picking. Well, something great about that group that we got from it, you know, we were running a relationship-based business and I didn't even realize it. Yeah. But then putting emphasis on that, you know, helped us foster that even more than we were in the beginning. Yeah. Definitely. And then uh, something else we do, we do the personal development meetings with our staff. Um, we lost a guy last year, so we got off of those a little bit, but my manager's back to having yeah. a guy in that position that's getting trained, so we're going to pick back up on those. But every every payroll, he brings everybody in one at a time for 10 minutes How's your life? How's it going at home? Yeah. They go over Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Uh, they, we have a chart that they fill out and we revisit it and say, you know, how's this? You know, you're talking about this with your wife last time. How's that going? Right. And so they see that we're bought into them because we are. And that fosters a lot of buy-in from them back towards our direction. That's really cool. That's fancy. Yeah. Uh, it seems like, I don't know. seems like somebody <laughs> came up with a lot of these concepts. On me. How did you find the Institute? Um, I guess I saw Cecil the first time at, uh, what's the one in Carolina? ASTE. ASTE, yeah. And then, so he did some other training classes uh, in other places where he just gave a seminar. So I took my manager with me and right. just taking my manager to Cecil's class one time was like, I'm ready. Yeah, that's awesome. Let's go. Dude. That's awesome. So when you hear his story, what what does that make you think about your experiences in the group? And it's it definitely, you know, I mean, 
when I first started going to the classes, I remember the first day we walked out of the class and um, I was like, I wanted to turn back in and just sign up with him. Yeah. I, I mean, I just, I bought into it right away. Right. And, you know. Had you seen other coaches? Like been to classes from other coaches? At that point in time, no. But what I did was um, about three years after the CISO class, my father and I started talking about how we were going to position the business and how we were going to take the next couple steps. And we knew we had it to um, buy out his partner and we knew we needed to make some other changes before we brought on a coach. And we kind of said to each other, like, are we going to go with the Institute and Cecil or should we look at other coaches? And we actually did look at um, ATI. Okay. And we went to one of their classes and we didn't even stay the full time. Yeah. Because it was just one big sales pitch. Yeah. And um, we picked like two things out of it for like the tires that we implemented, but we were like, no, this is just not for us. I, you know, I've been to some classes. I've only ever walked out of one and I walked out of it twice. And I tried to give it a second shot and like go back and, and sit back through it again. And I couldn't. And, you know, I look back at that and I say, you know, I, in some ways, I wish I'd sat through it. I wish I'd continued to listen because there was there were some pieces of good information. And so one of the things that a good friend of ours has said since is he said, oh, you go to those events, you go to those classes and you take out what you don't feel comfortable implementing and you implement what you what you feel comfortable implementing. And so to a degree, I can understand that. Right. Because like the reality is, and, and, you know, I've talked to Mike Allen about this coaching from outside the industry, looking at, at people who coach at different things and different levels and attending classes about different things that have nothing to do with our industry. Right. And like develop growth outside of where we're at. But in the same respect, I think about, you know, that class I attended, I took a service advisor to who was a new service advisor. And I think, you know, if I took somebody in here, and the, the morals were not there, if the ethics were not there, if this class didn't follow our values, is it telling that service advisor, is it telling that technician, is it telling that person that, oh, this must be their values, right? Because it's the man standing in the front of the room. It's the person who's got the loudest voice. It's the man behind the pulpit. And does that shift them, especially when they're a new advisor and they may not know better? Now, I, I think you've got strong ethics. Like, you know, Juan would be like, hell no, I'm not doing that, right? Like, I'll, I'm out. Right. He'd leave before he did that. But there are other people who hear that and it sounds interesting. It sounds good. And now all of a sudden, guess what? You've got a shop that went from relationship based to transaction based like that. Right. You don't even realize it happened. Yeah. This sounds good. This sounds like we're making money. Exactly. Exactly. So how do we, you know, and, and What's I. What's wrong with a transaction based business? I don't think there's anything wrong with it. You know, okay. as, as Dutch points out all the time, a, a transaction based business can make a lot of money. Yeah. Right. And so uh, there's also some customers that don't. That like, prefer a transaction. Yeah, they would prefer to just be a nameless, faceless number on a sheet. Um, I think for me, the the issue is, is not even so much. I mean, the, the clients play a part in it, of course. But I think for me, the bigger issue is, is the people that work for me. Right. Because those businesses teach that those those people are simply a number. And and it, you can become disingenuous. You can become disconnected. You can become to the point that you. But you, uh, there has to be a, a level of responsibility on the employee to not work at a place like that if they're. But you know how many comments have we've gotten on 
on the YouTube channel where, where they're like, I'm here for the paycheck. Yeah. Don't come talking to me. We've gotten these comments. Don't talk right. to me about my goals or my family life. Or I Don't ask me about my business. Don't ask me about my business, yeah. Sheila. Yeah. And, and we've got comments in, in the group about that, too. That, that you know, a technician doesn't want to have anything to do with, with any of that. I'm not interested. So they, they've got a place to go at that point. What, what was saying? it you said about one of the people you interviewed the other day? What was the difference between the two people that you pointed out? Oh, he was a mercenary. Yeah. Yeah, he wasn't. He wasn't. This guy wasn't the the kid that signed up after nine eleven and wanted to go defend his country. He was bought hook, line, and sinker in the into the mission. This guy was a fortune soldier, paid mercenary. You're going to yeah. bring him in, and he's going to do the job, and that's it. Yeah, that's we, we almost do. hired a guy that was like that, sold the crap out of everything everywhere he's been, and then I talked to the BG rep about him, and he did sell a lot of work, and he made a lot of money. But he was also falsifying his BG sheets as a service writer. Uh, and I think he got something like 6500 bucks from Patrick that he didn't earn. That's crazy. Yeah. And so, and like you said, you know, there's technicians that want to be nameless and faceless. And then there's technicians that want to be seen and heard. So the same thing with our customers. We started the shop and pulled a lot of customers from the BMW dealership initially because they want to have someone answer the phone when they call. They yeah. want to see a smiling face when they walk in. And so because that's the way it happened, then we're trying to find people that work there that fit our model. Because I feel like if we've got a mix of customers and then a mix of employees that go both directions, then it's going to create chaos in our business. Oh, man, I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. If, if you mix up that that demographic of people that work for you, it will. And, I, I you know, you're talking on the panel earlier about creating toxicity. Right. And like sometimes the leader can create toxicity and not mean to. I, I think that's a way that you could create that toxicity is because all of a sudden you've got a situation where you've got two people with misaligned act, uh, beliefs. Right. Like or your message is just not clear. Yeah. I mean, I I have a technician. Um, he's a younger gentleman and I brought him in and I'm, in the interview. I don't think I was very clear with my vision and my values. And right now I was actually thinking about it on the plane down here. And how I'm going to deal with this and what I want to do when I come back. And yeah. I actually, I called my father and I was like, listen, I, the problem is me. It's not him. Before we, before we give pack up his tools and tell him to go, I need to sit him back down and re, re-interview him and re-go over my values and our vision and, uh, and yeah. you know, the company's mission statement and see if he can align himself with it. Because I, I really do believe he can, you know, mm-hmm. but I realized that was my problem and my fault. Uh, how do you convey that to your people? How do you convey your mission statement, your visions, your values? What What is it that you've done with your guys? I talk to them a lot, probably more right. than I should. Um, <laughs> Just share everything. Yeah, yeah. They, they know more about me than they probably should. <laughs> I'm in the same boat, buddy. I'm always myself. I don't – I yeah. show up to work. I'm the same person I am at home with my wife. I'm the same person with yeah. my friends. And, you know, I don't really – I'm not able to disconnect and that's kind of why you got to bring a manager in sometimes to yeah to get in the middle but and that's been one of my drawbacks in the past too with people just letting them get to know me too much and then they're yeah. like well what's he so special for so did I'm you like, have I'm not my mom told me <laughs> <laughs> so did you <laughs> that was great uh mortonism um <laughs> did you um when when you brought that manager in because I'm kind of in that place, like as I grow the shop, I'm going to have to bring a manager in, right? 
did you find it difficult to relinquish that control and that engagement? Was it a, it took a a lot longer than it needed to or should have. Um, we had plans in place for Mm -hmm. Bob to start managing. He's, I mean, he's been with us for like eight years, eight years now. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I've, I've, I wrote up, uh, job descriptions for it with things that he needs to do, things he needs to focus on Mm -hmm. like five years ago. And I've worked on it and worked on it and worked on it. And then, but like, I never did it, did anything. Right. And so one day I was like, okay, I've got a goal by June 1st. So starting today, January, and then by June 1st, he's going to be implemented and fully in place and off the front counter and off the parts room a hundred percent. And then we got it done. What were the key steps in that process? Um, well, step one was, Hey Bob, I'm really going to put you in place as manager this year. I'm actually going to actually going to do it. Okay. And then he was like, okay, let's do it. Okay. And so we just started with basic stuff. Um, we, we met every day for an hour at the end of the day. Um, and I'd have a list for him every day that, you know, new stuff that is going to be his responsibility and what we're looking at moving forward. How'd you determine what you were going to delegate? Uh, just, Everything I didn't want to do. <laughs> That's the way to do it. Yeah. It is. Well. Make a list and you're like, I don't like doing that job. I don't like doing that job. Ah, that's a good idea. <laughs> I filled out that survey that the summit sent and it talks about like how much are you at the shop and then how much do you actually need to be there. Mm-hmm. I find ways to keep myself busy. I, I walk through the shop and just check on the guys. I run a lot of errands. I like making bank deposits. I do payroll. I right. pay the bills, but then I was tallying up my time. I really only need, only need to be there like five hours a week. Right, right. Well, and so did you? Did you find his strengths and delegate to those strengths? Did you just say, "Hey, here's a list of tasks. I'm a list of tasks. I'm going to delegate to you." Did you? Didn't want to delegate tasks. You want to delegate responsibilities. Right. Yeah. Well, and, I mean, I guess just saying, because you want to let them do it how they're going to do it. Of course. I'm not saying like, I guess I, you're right. I should have said responsibility. I know I'm right. That's why I spoke up. And <laughs> do you really buy that? Do you honestly <laughs> think that he speaks up when he knows he's right? Or do you think he just. Stay quiet? No, I don't. I say something. 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 If you see something, say something. See something, say something. <laughs> yes, David. It's on the MTA transit. Trans, ah, say New York. There's lots of things on those <laughs> transit buses and trains. Are they that bad, or is it just like a media thing? What the and the yeah the oh, train station. My wife works in the city. She's like, it's horrible right now. Is she's, it really? She's like, she's it's horrible. Yeah, people yeah. see something every five minutes, but nobody <laughs> says anything. I saw a comedian the other day on YouTube, and he was like, he was saying, he goes, only in New York do we actually have to have the sign that says. If you see something, say something. You know, only New Yorkers need to be told to do that. Most people are like, hey, there's a bag of it. New Yorkers, nah, nah, it's fine. It's fine. You don't, you don't worry about that bag. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> that man. guy just got stabbed. <laughs> eh, it's Tuesday. <laughs> I got to run. I got a meeting to catch. I can't be bothered with that. Well, and, and it's funny because Eric that works for me came from the floating junkyard that is Staten Island or the, the trash dump, whatever they want to call it, right? And so he had... When he came on, man, he, he looked offended to that by that. No, I didn't. <laughs> That's what they call it. I, if it I is. called it Staten Island, he probably wouldn't know what I was talking about. 
pretty sure really? it is the dump, actually. <laughs> right. Pretty sure there actually is a dump on Staten Island. It, it is the dump. Um, but so long story short, you know, um, bringing him in from the city and bringing him to rural North Carolina was a absolute culture shock for dude. Like he just, I mean, the very first day he was on the line, he comes down the stairs, F your mother, this and that. And I'm like, you son of a bitch. And I'm like, you know, I'm trying to like motion to him. And there's a client standing right there. And she's like, and he's like, that's just how we talk. And I'm like, not here. It's not. You can't do that here. And he's like freaking out. Like I see him turn red and the like passion melt out of his face all of a sudden. But dude was talking about a no swearing rule in a shop. Is that a thing at your shop? No, I, I have uh, a no throwing tools rule. Yeah, yeah, had, we don't throw. Yeah, tools. don't we, throw tools. We had know. a technician, Pooh Bear, and uh, he would get upset. And he would just start throwing his tools. I'm like, yeah. did your tools cause the problem, or did your unexperience cause the problem? And I think that made him more upset. That's was it Pooh Bear or Smashy Bear? No, we called him Pooh Bear. Okay, because I, he I've fell off some the Smashy time, Bears. So. Well, I had a guy who used to chuck ro- rotors, old rotors. He would go to like the patio in the back and he would just start breaking rotors whenever he got upset. Like, dude, you, you got some issues. That's yeah. unhealthy. It is unhealthy to Wait, get that upset. To break yeah. a rotor. Yeah. That's oh, rough. yeah. He would, he would get like really amped up. Is it the one that broke his leg? Yes. He, he had issues. <laughs> he did have issues. He had a lot of issues. We had a tech from New York. You remember Vince? He was from up there, and, and he was really high strung like that. And yeah, dude. He had this Some call, New York thing. All right, I'm, now I feel like we're being now yeah. I'm being verbally attacked. <laughs> <laughs> now we're being attacked. Let's see how podcast. upset we can get him. <laughs> He'll break a rotor too. But he he had this car that came back like twice for the same problem, and he is in the shop and he's throwing a fit. He's like, "This car's making me look stupid." And I was, <laughs> the car. And I was like, "Yeah, it's the car's I like, fault." Vince, I don't think it's the car. <laughs> Well, you know, and and here's the thing is like, I I don't think that you can feel personally attacked because like Eric Bach out on the island is the most laid back, chill dude ever. Right. You know, Eric. I mean, Eric's just like that. He is super chill and laid back in the. He is. He's just like, man, whatever. It is what it is. Cool. But dude, you get into the city, like the people that come out of the city, DeFazio, right? DeFazio is high strung. Eric's high strung. All of those people from the city were like. <clears throat> ramped up. They just left ramped up. Eric probably was high strung, and then Jerry Seinfeld brought his Porsche for him to work on, and he just went, okay, <laughs> I've made it. That's it. Everything's good now. I know, you think right? that's it? No. I think the further out they get away, maybe. I don't know. Because, I mean, you're pretty chill. What do you – like? He's, I, he's halfway chill to Eric Chill because he's halfway out on the island. Well, like, like Once you get to the very tip, it's like you get it, all the way it's New in, York. It's interesting out. because like the first like you you leave the city, right? Yeah. And and like you go into a McDonald's on the outskirts of the city and dude, it's pretty high strung and they're fast paced and what what you want? And it's like they're moving yeah. super fast and they're like get out of my way, pay me, what's taking so long? Why are you why are you making a decision? You should have already made your decision. Like let's go, let's go, let's go. Then you get halfway down the island and it's fairly chill yeah. and by the time you get to the end of the island where all the farms and the plantation the houses country, and stuff yeah. dude I, everybody's like hey what's up man yep like what you want to eat <laughs> you yeah. know exactly yeah well, david did you ever <laughs> there's there's a bunch of little towns out there that are little only like towns. three blocks long oh, <laughs> and then it goes well, into yeah. another town <laughs> yeah did you ever meet that that guy in california he was a service advisor at a shop in new york his name was tj Mm-mm. 
But he told this story that, you know, how they talk, like they just F you, F this, back and forth with the customers. Yeah. And like one of the consultants was in there, you know, or they were there for a shop inspection uh-huh. and he was freaking out. And he's like, oh, what? This is how we communicate. <laughs> yeah, dude. But he, he had a, an old lady that was like 80 come around the counter, grab him by the nuts and squeeze and say, if you jerk me around, you're going to lose these. I, I can believe it. And, and you know, only in New York. It's oh. like that dude in ASOC. Did y'all see that video in ASOC the other day? Where dude, like, so many people were upset because he posted. It's the guy that keeps posting videos of like a client comes in and says, Hey, I'm going to bring my own parts. I need you to just get this fixed right now. And he's like, I don't do that here. I'm sorry. I'm not the shop for you. Bye. And then oh, like hands man. us his keys back. And then some other person comes in and he's like, They, they come in and they said, Hey, uh, my brother. You got the oil changed down the road, and uh, they they let the oil out the car, but they didn't put oil back in the car. And so now the car is sitting over here on the side of the road. We got it towed in. Can you take a look at it? And he looks at it, and he looks at the paperwork. He said, why didn't you bring your car here for the oil change? Well, it was Saturday. You guys were closed. And he looks at her and says, you know, I just don't think I want to be involved in this. Let me think about it. Give me your keys. I'll think about it. I'll call you tomorrow and let you know if I want to be involved in this. You know? And, like, everybody's so upset. They're, like, raging out. It's like, yeah, but that's how they – that that is how they speak there, right? You do that in my town, right? Like, you are going to have a really bad reputation really quick. People just not come to you. But you do that there. And and you could tell by the way she responded, it was socially acceptable for him to say what he said. She didn't like get upset or anything. In your shop, have you ever fired a, a customer? Oh yeah, it's the best feeling in the world. Yeah, I, as a matter of fact, and he listens to the show. One of my good friends, he comes in one day and he said, "Hey," I said, "What's up?" He said, "Did you tell the people at this shop that you fired me?" And I said, "I did." And he said, "Well, that hurt my feelings." I said, "Well, I just started charging more than you could afford to come in here." <laughs> He's like, what? I was like, yeah. I was like, that's why you're over there, and I'm over here. You're still my friend. I still love you. It's cool. And he's like, really? And so, like, now he comes in, and he's like, just don't even tell me how much it is. Just fix the damn thing. And, like, so he just started showing back up, you know. He was going to the deal where dude stabbed the kid. Yeah, stabby guy. Stabby guy. Mm -hmm. That's rough. We fired a lady that she ended up selling the car. But then she was calling us to say, I sold the car to my friends. Can they bring it in? Even though it was mine, y'all don't want me coming there anymore. <laughs> and we're like, okay, I'm sure you sold it. Well, so she's calling our shop because she's been back and forth between both shops because she knows me and Chris both. Mm-hmm. And so my guy up front, Mark, he answered the phone and I was walking by and I heard him you know, say her name. And I was like, my ears perked up. I was like, I need to see how this goes. And he's talking to her and he goes, he goes, well, you know, if they truly did buy it, if they can bring in some kind of a bill of sale or a title or a title transfer form that it's in their name, we'd be glad to take a look at it for them. Right. And I was like, yes, Mark, yep. home run. Absolutely. <laughs> well, and, and you know, um, we had a deal where there was a man that was always around town and like we've all dealt with somebody in the past that has like really hardcore religious views or something or really hardcore political views and they share them publicly. And that's usually a pretty good indicator of somebody. And, and like, I'm not saying don't share your views, but, like, when you're the guy standing on the street corner yelling at people because that's a that's a pretty good indicator. You got some other stuff going on, right? And so this guy. That you call him crazy? All the time. Huh? Are you calling him crazy? Because he's standing on the street corner? No, He no, believes no. in what he believes in so much 
that he wants to tell the world with no, a big no, no, sign. No, 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 no. At six o'clock in the morning. Well, At six o'clock in the morning, it was probably out pamphlets. It was probably the part where he wasn't wearing clothes that was the problem. Okay, <laughs> maybe they don't believe in clothes. Seriously, do you believe they're in restricted? Now you're just, you now you just being judgmental. I know. I am pretty judgmental. It's Listen, awful. you're lucky I'm wearing pants. <laughs> This is a, this is like rough, dude. I don't think I remember that. a podcast where somebody else didn't wear pants, and you got super offended by that. Which one? The one with the video of the. He was wearing pants. He just took them off for a bit. <laughs> We're not even joking. What's, <laughs> what's this podcast rate? Is it rated PG thirteen or R? It wasn't. <laughs> we say earmuffs right before earmuffs, kids, earmuffs. Um, so you know, we had this guy who. Man, By the way, you were sending voice ma- messages, and I'm driving my kid back from school, and her friend may have been in the car. I won't, I won't say that she was, but you just started like f bomb this, f bomb that. F-ing yeah, that's this, happened to me a couple that. times too. And, and no, I don't swear. Anyway, so uh, I'm listening to this at full volume, and and like then it gets awkward, and you're like, I I don't know if they're listening. If they are, this is going to be bad. If they're not listening, I don't want to bring attention to it. So I don't know what to do at that point. I'll be honest. Every time I do it, you know, like ever since the whole eating in a restaurant thing and I like accidentally ordered for other people and it upset everybody. I've been like super self-conscious of like when I. What? When did that happen? In in Dallas. Remember the whole text message thing? (laughs) What? The text message thing about how I didn't even give anybody else an opportunity to say if they wanted something to eat. I don't remember that. Good. Um, but so, did, what, did I get upset? No, 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 no. Oh. Remember, we were somebody was somebody doesn't work for me anymore, and the the whole text message to somebody else because oh yeah. Well, so like now I'm trying to be more self conscious of things like that, and I always remember to warn David, like, hey, if you got little ones around, my bad. <laughs> and I always but put he it says it at the end. <laughs> 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 string of messages with a bunch of f bombs. Oh and yeah, the very last one going. Hey, sorry about the kids. If and they're just around. in case. <laughs> but everybody's got that friend that calls, and like as soon as I answer the phone in the car, the first thing I say is, "Hey, my wife and kids are in the car." Yeah. Oh, I know, right? <laughs> you gotta say it. Yeah. But the the bad thing is, is when I call my wife, the first thing she says is, "Hey, I've got the kids with me." Right. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's a bad sign. So, um, this old dude, he, he had this old uh, Chevrolet pickup. He shows up at my shop one time, and everybody else in town, when he would show up, you could just see everybody just have this look on their face. Now, you own a business long enough, and you kind of get to know what that look is, right? Like, so my service advisors, when certain people show up, I can see the look in their face. I'm like, oh, here we go. You know, I don't even have to see the car. I don't even have to see the client. I don't even have to see the caller ID. I can look at Jade and be like, I'll deal with it, right? Just let me take the call. And so everywhere that you saw this man, I do the exact opposite. It's like, ooh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you hey, better, Juan, get man, you better get this. <laughs> <laughs> well, so uh, you know, you would go places, and this guy would be around, and he he was always super obvious because he would pull people aside. He fixed like antique lamps. And he would pull people aside, and he would just talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk, and he would tell them about the Lord and how all this stuff and. And he would just have them pulled aside for 20, 30 minutes at a time. And then you could tell the person was uncomfortable trying to leave. So everywhere you went, you knew where he was. And um, he came in and he said he wanted a brake estimate. And so we pick the vehicle up. We do a brake inspection. This thing is like the calipers are ground off in the back, 
right? The pads are long gone. Calipers making contact with the backside of the rotor. Fronts are gone. Stop, stop the car. And he's like super frustrated that we say we need all this stuff. And he talked to such and such. And they said that brake pads wouldn't be but this much. And I, I said, sir, I said, here's the deal. I can understand that, but I don't think they have a clear picture of what it is we're talking about. Now, that being said, I'm not the cheapest in town. You can probably find this cheaper, but I explain the value of doing business with us. And so he's freaking out, flipping out. And so uh, they go to back his vehicle out, right? And the brake fluid in the reservoir is literally like, it's got like silt in it. Like you, mm-hmm. when you did the the fluid sample, you put your moisture meter down in it. When you pull the moisture meter back out, it's got like rust on the end of it. And so backing it out puts foot on the brake pedal and it stops and then back out a little bit more and the brake pedal just goes to the floor. Master cylinder blew out. Mm-hmm. And dude, this guy lost his mind and said that I had sabotaged him mm-hmm. and I set him up to where he had no choice to get, to get his car repaired here. And, and then, that's when you say, no, sir, I can tow this wherever you like me to. Uh, oh, I did. I did. And do you know that he came back and demanded that I pay for his entire brake repair? Yeah. Because, because the, the master cylinder went bad and he thinks that I've caused all this other damage while it was at my shop. And I'm like. Did he file a deceptive trade practice lawsuit on you? No. I've got one of those right what? now. What? Over what? You've got a DVI, though. Yeah. Here's the well, pictures. He, we worked on a car, SL Mercedes, suspension problems. Mm. It needed a pump because the accumulators failed and pushed all the fluid out of the reservoir, burned up the pump. Mm-hmm. $6,000 repair. Yeah. Get it all done. Everything's perfect. She takes the car. Three weeks later, she brings it back. Warning light came on for the suspension. Um, different fault. The valve block has some trash in it or something so that one of the struts is moving up and down mm-hmm. while the car is running. While we've got it, this guy that worked for me for four days backed it into a pole. Oh, jeez. We get an estimate, 3500 bucks, mostly cosmetic, and then she's working with us. You know, we're going to get it taken care of. And then the next day she calls and just flips out. I think somebody got in her ear. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. She's going to take it to her body shop. You know, F us, and and we offered to fix the valve blocks for free. We're going to do rebuild kits. Shop foreman was going to handle it for me. No charge. That wasn't good enough. So she takes the car to a body shop. They write an estimate for $13,000. What? Holy cow. Because they pulled everything apart in the trunk, and where the uh, convertible top pump is back there, like something bent in and like touched one of the lines. Okay. So they're going to replace all that too. Got it's got to be replaced. So she's suing me now, s- telling her lawyer that she paid six thousand dollars as a deposit, and we didn't do the work. What? Because she wants her money back for the repairs because yeah. we ended up totaling a car. My insurance ended up paying out twenty grand against a twelve thousand dollar car. Holy! So she God. made out pretty good already. Right, but and she's, she's still, still showing. Yeah, what? so I've I've got a meeting with her and her attorney and my attorney on February sixteenth at two p.m. But it's, the meeting isn't you walking in going get bent. It's gonna be. Out? I've I've got all my paperwork and documentation. I mean, I've got a hundred papers uh-huh. revolving around this entire situation. Well, and I mean, hundred papers of what though? Like 
DVIs, DVI screenshots, tech punch time screenshots, credit card receipts, every payment, all the invoices. Invoices for the parts, yeah. Well, when somebody signs an invoice when they pick the car up, isn't that signature mm-hmm. basically agreeing that we They're did pay- the work? Right, yeah. So, well, but her the ad- payment would be that, yeah, we did the work. <laughs> yeah, and she's and saying, the fact that like there's there's a date, and how long was it before she came back in? Three weeks. Yeah, so the, you drove the car for three weeks. Here's the mileage when it left. Here's the mileage you brought it back in. You drove it 1,500 miles, and you're telling me that we didn't do the work over 1,500 miles you were driving this car? Yeah, when it came in with the suspension sunk and inoperable. Yeah. yeah. But so her attorney, I've given him everything, and he keeps saying, well, y'all, these are just estimates. I need an invoice. And I'm like, I've, I've got the invoice right here with her signature, like the actual hard copy that she signed. Yeah. And so now it's like, well, we're still missing something. They're just, and I'm just thinking any other shop in town would just have something written on a piece of paper. Well, yeah. and that, that's what he expected. And I think what's probably happened is that the attorney went out and said, oh, this will be a closed cut case. Not a big deal. Here's <laughs> yeah. what you want to do. Here's how you handle this. All of a sudden he gets hit with the paperwork and he's and like, he's oh, like, crap. Yeah, yeah, this right. shop has their stuff in order. I'm not going to win this. Yeah, so now he's going to fight as hard as he can. Yeah. Well, how? Let me ask you how that felt, like when that happened. You knew she was upset anyway, yeah. right? But how did it feel when that happened? It was terrible. Um, every customer we've ever made a mistake like that on, I think there's been four in 10 years. Mm-hmm. I know you all handle it. Thank <coughs> you. Right. Great. And, and this is the first person that has not allowed us to fix a problem that we caused. What, what was the first thought went through your head? She's probably going to sue me. Right. But I mean, after that. I've like, heard when you say that more than once. This yeah, I have probably to. the, you know, like, well, that, uh, I'm going to get sued. Well, this is, where, this, <laughs> this is where I'm working on me because that stuff really stresses me out. Me too, dude. And I know it it's not the end of the me. world. I mean, she wants her repairs plus 2500 bucks, pain and suffering. What? I've paid. <laughs> He's like, yeah. what? <laughs> I've pained and suffered way more than she has over this. Yeah. I've lost sleep over it. I'm worried about my kids, my employees. But at the you end got of the umbrella day, insurance. You got umbrella insurance, don't you? Yeah, it, insurance won't cover deceptive trade lawsuits. <gasps> That's why they went and they know that. that. The yeah, but you would think this doesn't make any sense. You would think the lawyer would go, "Hey, the money's not going after the shop owner. The money's going after get, getting a payout from the insurance yeah. company because mm-hmm. he's probably sitting on a chunk of a policy." So we need to go after right. it this way to make sure that the insurance company is just well, going to write a check and make it go away. Could they go after the insurance company? Because she really wasn't. I mean, it's not like the car was unsafe. It's not drive. that they want to go after the insurance company. It's they want to. They want a lawsuit structured in a way that the insurance company can step in and cover it. Right. Because, like, what are they going to get after you? Uh, it's an LLC. Yeah. They can only get so much stuff. It's like, hey, what do you want? The scan tool? There you go. I lease the building. Well, this is me. But I lease the building. You lease the. Is your, you own that building. Yeah, we don't own you? it. Yeah. But, but we, is we, it a, we it's lease a different it to, company. Yeah, we lease yeah, it. Yeah, see, it's a different flipping company. Like, is what her, are you going after? Is her attorney her nephew or something like that? Or it must be. No, he, he's an idiot. He's a, a specialist in deceptive trade practices. His father has pioneered that entire area of law. So he only knows this one. He's but, like, oh, this is the only way we kill. This is what he. This he is likes the only way do. we hunt. We hunt with bow and arrow, nothing else. Like I, I'm pretty sure I can get this guy t- to hunt with something else. No, no, bow and arrow. Man, That's and all it makes I know. You, it makes you think about the shop that does just have a paper invoice. It makes you yeah. think, like you know, these guys are. No, out here I don't worry something. about them. They, they'll. Nah. 
That's you know, I, I have a chargeback from a customer with a Porsche. And when I was coming down here, I have, was before that I came down here, I was dealing with that. And you've made my problem seem very. Yeah, bad. I know, right? Well, and I was just like, very why didn't she just dispute the credit card charges? Yeah. Right. It seems like it's simpler. a vengeance thing at this <laughs> yeah, point. Yeah. And so that's what I was going to say about his deceptive trade lawsuit. This isn't about getting money. Like he really goes after businesses, that's his business. And so it's like we can make them pay so it hurts them. What? So how? I want to know what your your thoughts were. How did that feel? Like the the first thoughts you got. I mean, I know she's uh, asked that me. three times. Well, no, I, no. I want to. I really want to know what he. I really want to know what that felt like. What emotions went through his head when he got the paperwork saying, "Hey, you're being sued." He said he got all really of them. Yeah, my, he lost. My Sleep heart just. Over it. We've gotten those before, right? And like my heart just sinks. Yeah. But then I just get into, you know, work mode. I get in the computer. I start getting everything. I get in the files. I get everything. Yeah. So I've got um, a folder, which the other times this has happened, like I immediately just shut that off, get into work mode, get a folder built, write our, you know, mm-hmm. events as they happened in our opinion or start our facts. Statements and yeah. Everything. Yeah. So that's what I did. I just got right to work on it. You know, we um, we had a chargeback a while back. And it was a deal where he says that um, he had an issue with his repair after the car left, right? And so he did. He wasn't lying, but he never contacted us, never said anything. Now, here was the thing is I listened to all the calls, and he was being deceptive with our guy, Mm. right? So he was negotiating around the questions that, do you approve this? Uh, Whatever you need to get done. And you couldn't really understand what he was saying. And so, but then he would call back later and he would say, Hey, did you get that stuff I asked you to do done? Well, your total's going to be, ah, uh, and then he'd change subject, right? And it was clear that he was being deceptive, right? And we figured that out. So we did the chargeback case and everybody was like, Hey, listen, this should be cut and dry. But the reality is with a chargeback right now, even if they signed the credit card receipt, like you're losing the money. Yep. Right. You're not winning a chargeback case. It's not happening. And, and you might, you might get lucky. You might, threaten them enough you might have just the right way to communicate with them that they drop the chargeback but chances are you got about a 10 percent chance of winning any chargeback case right now and i was actually talking to my credit card girl the other day and about this one chargeback i had and i haven't had a chargeback in 22 years i've been with the same company and i said can i ask you a quick question susan she goes sure and i'm like how many chargebacks has this guy had she goes oh he's had six in the last month. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and he's I'm like with it. I'm like, with American Express? She goes, yeah. I go, shouldn't that be taken into consideration? Oh, yeah. Absolutely, I mean, but they don't. a company that never has a chargeback card, n- never has a chargeback. That, but, I do X amount of dollars in credit cards, and yet this guy's it, had six. It is, this is a, this is a, this is a, a new thing. Yes. This is new, but it's- But this is just with certain companies. I'm a big Capital One fan. I love those, cap- those stupid cards. And they don't let you just charge it back. Right. If there's a fraudulent charge on the website, it tells you contact the vendor. We'll change your credit card, uh, your credit card number, and then that's it. Contact well, the vendor. Like that's well, that's all you can do. Right. In, now Chase will let you actually hit the button. They'll immediately give you credit, and then they'll fight it out, with, fight the it out with the vendor. But Amex isn't like that. No, Amex they is like their card member. That they only care about the card right. member, yeah. but we're the idiots paying the three and a half percent fee. Absolutely, yeah. Well, Screw the so Amex in cards. in this instance, right? In this instance, the the dude was such a dummy, 
right? And and I in a lot of ways I feel bad for him. He had um he had some other stuff going on health wise, whatever. Um, and he he like a dumbass jumps up and tells the sheriff's officer that calls because I, I file a report with the sheriff's department and they said, hey, probably not anything we could do, but we'll try. We'll see what we can come up with. We'll see what we can accomplish, right? And so um, I explained the story to him, and um, he said, I'll, I'll see what I can come up with. And he calls me back that afternoon. He said, he told me to get bent. I'm like, he told you what? He's like, he told me to get bent. He's like, see you in court, right? And so the next morning I get a call, and I see the name of the sheriff's department on my phone, and I answer the phone, and I said, you know, this is LNN. How can I help you? And, and he said, hey. He said, um, it's a, another investigator that I'd had a personal relationship as a friend with years ago and, and had actually done some work for. And he said, um, he'll be calling you and paying you in just a little bit. Let me know when that goes through. And I said, what? He said, you don't tell my investigators to get bent. He's like, you, you, you got to at least respect the process. You got to at least, you know, you can't just tell somebody to get bent. You can't disrespect them like that. Like we're calling to do an investigation. He said, we didn't really dig into the investigation part of this. He said, I, so I called and, and went to carry on with the investigation. And he proceeded to tell me my mother was a shin that it was, I mean, it just like absolutely went off and that I could get effed and I could this and I could that. And like, you could hear in the background, his wife's like trying to tone him down, you know? And he said, so I just explained to him like, Hey, I'll be there in the morning. I'm going to bring a warrant for your arrest um, for, Theft of services, because I have here the exact time you called the credit card company to cancel your payment. It's before you pulled out of the parking lot. It is a clear intention. You didn't even know if your car had a problem by the time you pulled out of the parking lot. You didn't go back and report it to them that you had a problem. This is a clear case of theft of services. And this guy called back and apologized and apologized and apologized. And I, I, I'll, I'll pay you. How can I pay you? Just tell me how you want your money. I'll pay you. Just call the law dogs off. Right. And like, so. The thing is, is that maybe we've taken the consequence away in in these cases, right? Because here, here's my perspective. If I went and did that to somebody in my community, I'd feel terrible about it. I'd be embarrassed. Absolutely. You know, it would be terrible. And, and because I know these people, other people would be talking about me. Why in the world would he do that? Why wouldn't he go talk to them? Why wouldn't he share with them what the deal is? And so now our society has become such um, – We've reclused so much into social media. We've reclused so much away from other people that it's acceptable to treat other people poorly. Yeah, the way you treat people online is is absolutely growing into uh, into real life. Yeah, and so I can't help but think like if that man had 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 to do that publicly, if he had had to come to my face and say that or do that, he wouldn't have done it. Because we didn't do anything wrong. He never gave me a chance to make it right. And I, dude, I ended up paying a $400 tow bill, paying Mercedes-Benz to fix his car for him because he didn't want to bring it back to us. And he's saying things like, hey, there's scratches in my seats. You scratched my seats. That's why I did the chargeback. Well, here's a picture of your seats, and here's a picture of that the day that, you, that your car came in. Right. Well, the interior of my car is wet. Well, here's a note. On this day, you dropped the car off on this day. The interior was wet. And every single thing he said – I refuted it. I'm like, here's the deal. Here's the deal. He's like, the last thing he comes up with is my blower motor's not working, and you didn't put a new one in. I'm like, nah. Here's a picture of the old one. Here's your old blower motor. Here's the Mercedes-Benz logo. Here's the part, right? Here's a picture of the technician changing the part, (laughs) right? And here's the picture that you say that shows where the mold and mildew is in the car. You can see 
Well, you didn't put the under panel back underneath it. And it was just one thing after another. And all he was trying to do was get his money back. He didn't want to pay. It wasn't about something that was wrong with the car. It was he wanted his freaking money back, you know? Right. And so, I mean, we're going to find ourselves working with people who do not have quality, ethical, or moral boundaries. Yeah, this, this lady yelled, yelled at us on the phone so much. I'm hoping she freaks out and does that when we're in the office. That do you have the recorded calls weeks. you can take with you? I do. So this is a funny situation. We record all our phone calls. Mm-hmm. I've got four days that are missing because our storage got full. Oh, no. After a year and a half, it got full. What are you storing it on? They're in the cloud. Or like, or is it AWS or what? It's Vonage. I store all of mine on AWS, and it just like yeah, every month I get a little bit bigger bill than I got the month before because it stored even more and more right. and more. I've got like fifteen petabytes of telephone calls. <laughs> so when our when our storage gets full, like we're we're doing this now every month, we, we don't even let it get full. Every month at the end of the month, my manager downloads the month, puts it in Drive. Mm-hmm. That's it. So That's we don't have that problem again. But the call that we called to get approval for the job. Oh, and gave her the no. prize was in that four day window, but I've got everything before and everything after. Like, hey, you know the parts are in. Okay, great. Call me when it's done. That's okay, crazy, your car's dude. done. Okay, great. I've got all that, and then I've got all the her MF and us up one side and down the other. Yeah. Also, I don't think you can avoid that. I don't think there's a way around it. I think if crazy people gonna be crazy, they're gonna yeah. be crazy. Is this a new customer or an existing customer? That was her first time, yeah. Ah, that explains See, a lot. Huh? And this yeah. was back in July, so it's still going on eight months later. And I don't. Did I don't you know take a deposit? I. Sorry, did you take a deposit? Yeah, we we took a twelve hundred dollar deposit initially hmm. to get parts coming. Yeah. So we got the deposit ten minutes later. Ordered the parts. All the timestamps are on the parts invoices from Mercedes. Yeah. So. And then, and then she paid the rest of it when she picked the car mm-hmm. up. I don't know about Lucas's situation with the gentleman and the chargeback, but my, my gentleman with my Porsche chargeback, he was a new customer too. And, and honestly, when I went back and looked at how we could have you know, done something different and what we could have done is I just didn't vet the customer enough. Yeah, that's um, exactly what And it just fell us. through the cracks. And I don't mm-hmm. know if your service writer vets the customers or, or not. Well, this would have been fine if we didn't back her car into a pole. <laughs> I, I mean, it would have happened sooner or later. Yeah. If she kept coming back sooner or later, something would, I don't yeah. think, Some, something would have set her off. I don't think it was the backing of the car up. I mean, let's face it. She's she's out for blood. I mean, you would, yeah. the, the fact that she had to come back with, with another problem and, you know, she's just she's just out for blood. Yeah. yeah and the, the other problem thing, I mean, that's what I did. I mean, yeah, we she just spent $6,700 on her suspension and now we need, you know, I got to pay a tech four hours and buy $30 worth of seals. I'm fine with that. I'll take care of it. Yeah. Yeah. We were going to take care of it from the get-go. Yeah. That's crazy. Andrew, what keeps you up at night? Finding new techs, honestly. Just uh, call David. <laughs> Seriously. I'm dead serious. W- wouldn't you agree? David's hiring class. He's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> Dude, that works. David's hiring class works. Really? I didn't know you did a hiring class. Yes, you did. You took the hiring class. You didn't even. Where? How do I sign up for this hiring class? He watched the hiring class. He did? Yeah. Dude, it is. I it got is. a message from my screenshot. It, it, it is the only way to hire technicians. It really is. Yeah. 
Is it is there a YouTube video? Do I need to pay you fifteen dollars? Is it like on OnlyFans or <laughs> yeah. OnlyFans? You, you gotta prepay. You gotta prepay for the whole year. There's also feet pics. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> Never mind. I don't want to hire technicians. I'll be okay. I'll just do the work myself. Thank you for listening to the Changing the Industry podcast. If you enjoyed the show, do us a favor and leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. And don't forget to set it to automatically download the latest episode. Our efforts with this podcast, the YouTube channel, and the Facebook group wouldn't be possible without the support of our awesome sponsors. So please take a moment, check them out by clicking on the links in the show notes.